0: We were, honestly, we were very terrified. We were just like, I don't think we belong here. We need to get the hell out of here. (laughs) And, you know, going through this whole scene, I mean, you know, we trek through these uh, thick uh, Papuan uh, rainforests, and it was quite intense.
1: You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there.
2: So, before we get started today, I wanted to reintroduce myself. My name is Mason Gravely, and my wife and I, uh, her name is Emily, we're going to be helping Kurt and Travis out with some production, with some hosting, with some editing of the show. So, we wanted to just make sure you get more familiar with their voices, and we also wanted to make some announcements. As all of you know, uh, nothing in life is free, (laughs) including this podcast. It costs money, it costs time and energy to produce this. And one way that you can help ensure this show will keep going is becoming a patron of the show. And I apologize, I don't typically sound like this. I have a little bit of a cold, so it's it's making me sound funny. Anyway, if you want to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast costs $5 a month and it gets you access to an extra episode a week that has to do with living your life outside the box. So if you're someone who wants to kind of break out of that corporate mold or your 9 to 5 and you want to pursue your passions that have to do with adventure sports or with the outdoors, this is a great series where you can learn from other people who are actually doing it and who are actually producing an income doing it. It's incredible. for So for five bucks a month, you really can't beat that. And also, if you don't want to listen to those episodes, just think of it as helping the show out. You get to basically buy us a couple cups of coffee every month just as a thank you. So please consider supporting the show, and then you'll be able to rest easy knowing that you get to help make this show happen. So thank you. Now back to the episode.
1: Hi, friends. Kurt here. Wow, do I have a show for you today. I have Tashi and Nungshi Malik, and Tashi and Nungshi are twins. They were born in 1991, and they have completed not only the Seven Summits, but they have also completed the Adventurer's Grand Slam and the Three Poles Challenge. What this means is they've skied to both the North and South Poles, as well as climbing the highest point on each of the Seven Continents, And I am so excited to visit with them. They grew up in India, and that's where I caught up with them today at Dharodun. Now, did I say Dharodun correctly?
0: That's right. It
1: is. (laughs) Well, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Hello, Curtis. Thank you. I mean, we're absolutely delighted and equally excited to talk to you.
1: Well, it's, it really is an honor to talk to the two of you. Not only have you accomplished what so few people ever can with the Adventurers Grand Slam, but you have also done it to promote female empowerment and uh-huh. and to promote what you call the Indian girl child. And so we're going to get into all of that as this interview continues. But before we do, let's just go back to Darudun. Can you tell us what uh-huh. Derudun is like and in what part of India that is?
0: Sure. Well, Derudun is a city in the northern part of India, and it's not far from the capital Delhi. Uh, the beautiful thing about Derudun is it's it's in the foothills of the Masuri Hills, which is why it makes it more uh, scenic and green. And, you know, it's monsoons now, so we are enjoying the perfect rains outside. But apart from that, I mean, there are definitely is a city where we have uh, spent most of our time because our mom is from here, and uh, you know, it's it's a very it's a a city where you ha- where you get to see a lot more cultures because it's right in the heart of the mountains. So basically, we are kind of like Himalayan babies.
1: <laughs> oh, fantastic! Do you think that's one of the reasons why you decided to start climbing mountains?
0: <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely not. I mean, most people tend to think that because we come from the mountainous regions but i think it was no it was all an exposure that we weren't aware of which actually got us into climbing yeah so because you know our dad is in the military and uh we kind of traveled the length and breadth of the nation Uh and it was very hardy that we would actually be near the mountains uh initially you know we used to go as kids i remember uh just to paint a picture or two but Uh, No, we never thought that we would be climbing these someday. So Mm. (laughs) I wouldn't say basing ourselves out of there was like the reason or perhaps aided the fact that we could climb mountains. No.
1: So whose idea was it? Was it Nungshi or Tashi who first said, let's go climb a mountain?
0: (laughs) Wow, that's almost like getting us into a conflict right now. (laughs) Uh, No, I think for us, it was actually because being twins, I think our interests have always lined up together. I think it was a together sort of initiative, but our dad sort of, you know, exposed us to it. And and it's interesting because long story short, he wanted us to be, you know, out of our comfort zones, wanting into getting to explore more than what actually we were doing. And so we ended up more than like, I think it was this questioning mind that kept us alive. And we just figured that we were in one of these institutes training for the climbs, you know? So It was a result of like these combination of things that have happened in life. And credit to dad for even getting us into this in the first place, you know.
1: Sure. So I've talked to several people who have started climbing mountains and set some sort of a record, whether it's a seven summits or, you know, uh, 15 mountains above 8,000 meters or whatever it may be. But almost all of them start out by saying, well, I never really set out to do the seven summits originally but it turned out that way <laughs> Was did the two of you decide to actually try to do the seven summits and this grand slam challenge as well or was it more of a well let's go climb a mountain let's go do another one
0: <laughs> well that's a great question i think um, you know we actually you're right i think we sort of discovered ourselves through our first climb and uh, Everest happened to be our first and one of its kind sort of dream so I think it was actually after Everest when we came back to you know base camp when a lot of international climbers they had seen us climbing the mountain and they were like you know hey twins you guys are amazing your stamina is perfect on the mountains you know have you ever thought of doing the seven summits and honestly we had no idea what the seven summits were until then because you know growing up having a dream for something that sort of relates to what, you know, the seven summits were, I think that's what got us. And it was like, you know, these Sherpas too, I mean, they would be like, you guys need to climb more because you have the you know right acclimatization skills and you guys are super fit so you can easily do these seven summits and I'm like wow there's no easy honestly (laughs) because we had figured that you know climbing Everest absolutely was difficult so hearing about the seven summits though was for us a revelation of some sort because we not only wanted to climb the mountain for us we needed to have a purpose to climb them and I think that's part of us that has taught us in This climbing thing is more than climbing to the top for us. It was about the journey that we wanted to embark on. And with that journey also spread a message because soon after our Everest climb in 2013, when we came back to India, there was this, uh, there was a gang rape that happened in Delhi, in the capital, Mm. and it was on wildfire. So me and Nash were quite shocked because, you know, having climbed to the top of the world, celebrating women, womenhood and, you know, this girl power. It just felt so bad, like that we were still facing a challenge and we wanted to change that. So from that day, I mean, Nash and I, you know, we sort of had decided that if you do something, we're going to do something so big that we become inspiration for, you know, sort of million other girls in our community. And that's what motivated us to take on the Seven Summit Challenge and then therefore Grand Slam so that we raised the bar high for the women. And that's what we've achieved and proved uh, that women can.
1: That's beautiful. I want to talk about all the records you set, and I don't even know what the full list is. There's so many, but there are some things like first siblings or youngest siblings Uh or first twins or first females, or, you know, and and there's so many different ways that you can look at it, but here are just a few that I'd like to go over first female twins to scale Mount Everest, first siblings Uh and twins to climb the seven summits. The first siblings and twins to complete Adventurer's Grand Slam and the Three-Pole Challenge. Youngest persons ever to complete the Adventurer's Grand Slam and the Three-Pole Challenge. And that I guess that record was broken last year. Uh, but that's... That's still, right. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, first <laughs> twins to reach the South Pole on skis. The first twins to reach the North Pole on skis. The first female twins to scale Mount Cook, New Zealand's tallest peak. And that's not one of the Seven Summits, so it looks like you still climb. No. And (laughs) um, let's see. Boy, it just goes on. The first South Asians (laughs) to complete the Adventures Grand Slam and the three-pole challenge. The youngest and fastest South Asians to complete the Adventures Grand Slam and the three-pole challenge. Two years and a month. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. Let's read that again. Youngest and fastest South Asian to complete adventurous Grand Slam and the 3 Pole challenge. Two years and a month. You did all of this in just over two years?
0: Uh-huh. Wow. Um, just two you... years and a month, yes.
1: <laughs> you must not have been doing anything else. This is crazy.
0: I know. Poor bodies. I mean, I think we pushed our bodies too much, but then at that point, I think it, it was the adrenaline and you know, one thing led to the other. And so we ended up doing all of that, which to us seems surreal even today. But, uh, you know, it's, it's fun that we were able to pull it off, honestly, and that too together. And that too on a first attempt, which was like a big deal, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. okay, I want to ask each of you individually a couple of questions just to kind of get some sure. perspective. Right. Um, let's start with Tashi. So Mm -hmm. Tashi, you choose any one of the seven summits you want to that most impacted you. And then tell us what that mountain was and what that impact was, how it changed you as a person.
0: Sure. So I think out of the seven, you know, usually when people ask me this question, it's always hard because every climb definitely teaches you something or the other. But for me, my personal favorite will always be Everest. Um, And that's not because it's the highest peak in the world or, you know, it's, it's accessible or it's the most sought after. But I think for me, it was about this connection that I felt with the mountain. I mean, when I first spoke about Everest to dad, I just felt that there was some spiritual connection that I had with the mountain more than anything else. And I think that's what pulled me towards climbing it in the first place. And this whole journey starting from, you know, Kathmandu, where we start from to Lukla, which is the shortest runway on the world. Uh, I think for us, my, I think for me personally, that journey of just self-discovery through that, you know, first initial trek, because we were like, what, 21 and we had no idea what, you know, Everest looked like apart from seeing that in books. And so having personally seen Everest through my own eyes and then to have climbed, I think I just feel so blessed. I was able to, you know, see myself change as a woman, change as a person climbing that mountain. I mean, there were so many things from the challenges it imposed to just the way this whole journey uh, ended up. And I think for me, uh, I realized the power that I had within me or the sort of wilderness that existed out of my comfort zone was amazing. And I think Everest for me was that calling. It was like that initial, hey, I, I love to see you kind of feeling where I felt like I wanted to see the mountain and that's what happened. And in the pursuit of me climbing Everest, I think I discovered a lot more about the mountain and the community and this whole, our existence on this planet and what my vision was for the future. So I think so I sort of discovered myself through Everest and it was, a defi- it was a difficult sort of climb. But for me, I think it was a great uh, sort of smooth journey because I just felt every pulse of it and mm. just took it the way it came, you know.
1: Wow. So, Nungshi, what about you? Is yours quite a lot different or similar to Tashi?
0: Uh, No, no, no. Actually, it's pretty similar. Uh, I'm in love with the the mountains, uh, no doubt, but uh, Everest is one of my favorites too, and uh, that's for a lot of different reasons. It was was a mountain where I truly discovered myself. I uh, had a very spiritual calling, and I always tell this to people that for me walking... To the summit of any mountain is actually synonymous to an inner journey. Um, and we viewed our, our relationship with them with a deep sense of humility. Why Everest was also special was because we had a very dear friend from Pakistan, Samina Beg, that we climbed it with. And so, you know, it was like the story of three sisters and, you know, the kind of bond and friendship we discovered during our journey to the summit of the world. It was just very powerful and it just you made us reflect on so many things that we uh normally put heat on do not put heat on and so yeah i mean it definitely is a mountain that i truly respect i mean going to the himalayas there's something about the people the culture the serenity the purity of it all um and i deeply appreciate and like that about the climb Mm. and it's also the longest right of all the summits ever you know we spend two months on the ice it's definitely worth it (laughs)
1: By now, you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to BentGate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. And so your friend from Pakistan was Samina Baig. Did I say that correctly?
0: Yeah, Samina Baig.
1: Okay. Right. And part of the, I guess the, the imp, uh, What? what's the word I should use here? Part of what we should highlight about this is that she is from Pakistan, you are from India, and the two countries mm-hmm. have not been at peace. And that? you were working to uh, promote peace between the two nations.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's what we tell people, right? Um, a lot of people know the unfortunate legacy of conflict between the two nations. When we first met Samina, there were obviously, we were all so anxious, and was, so was she. And then, you know, when we met, the first day we met her, Uh, We just knew that there was something special about us. There was this very sisterly, loving bond that was so very powerful. We felt it the first, very first day we saw her. And so, you know, when you hear of things that people often talk about, all these stereotypes and, you know, country norms, it just makes you think that we all are one, you know. That right. we were no different. And uh, through climbing, we kind of discovered that, that there are no boundaries. You know, you could be from anywhere. You could be doing anything in your life. But when you come together and you climb, you, you just know that there are, you were never, you were boundaryless. And so that's what I like about, you know, the, the, the lessons and the learnings from such an outdoor pursuit is that it changes the way you think about people, the mm-hmm. culture, borders, everything. Okay. And it brings people together very close. <laughs>
1: Well, I know that most people would probably say that Everest is the granddaddy of them all. That's the big mountain, right? But not everyone finds uh-huh. Everest the most difficult for them because of weather or circumstances. So, Noong-shi, uh which uh-huh. of the seven summits do you feel is the most challenging?
0: All right. Let me think. Um, well, does this include the polar cats as well?
1: Let's no. throw that in <laughs> just for fun. Sure.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, I'm thinking, because usually I talk of, uh, you know, Denali or, or North Pole. So I'm just thinking which of those two are actually more daunting to me. Um, Denali. I would say, yeah, I would say uh, North America's highest, Denali, is perhaps one of the toughest climbs we've had to do. A lot of people have told us, actually, they've already warned us that this is one mountain that you can't expect to, you know, make it in your first attempt. So, um, you know, we were quite worried about the first, first impression that we had about Denali. But each of the seven summits, I would say, have, you know, posed different and unique risks and challenges. Uh, so with Denali in Alaska, I remember this was, there was this snowstorm that we were stuck in for a week, for over a week. And, uh, you know, we were running out of rations and a lot of people were retreating. And they said, you know, it would be stupid if you guys were to go up. But there was always this, like, thing about the mountain. The, the weather patterns were very different. They were pretty nasty and the kind of frost chills and you know frost nips we discovered on the climb we had never experienced elsewhere so i would mm. say even the chill factor was definitely more as compared to other climbs that we've had um and plus also there's this whole thing of doing everything yourself uh in the himalayas everybody knows that you know shapers are of assistance they are you know they are your guides they help you out you know they carry things for you but in denali you're pretty much doing everything yourself uh, whether it's carrying your ration, whether it's carrying your gear, and it's a lot of stuff. We had almost 70 LB or up to about 150 LB during the climb. And we were, you know, doing this whole thing of caching our stuff as we went along. And that was quite quite exhausting because, you know, you, it's almost like doing the climb twice. Oh, so sure. You, you cache your stuff and you go back again. And it's just very, very tiring. And, and it's, yeah, the whole thing about the mountain, it's so, so daunting. And it's one of the toughest that we kind of experienced. And technically, also, it's a very, very sound mountain. You know, there's the Autobahn. There's just like this is such a daunting climb.
1: Oh, yeah. Um. So, Tashi, uh, you chose, the two of you chose to climb Mount Carstens instead of the little bump in Australia. <laughs> and tell right. us what that was like. <laughs>
0: Oh, it was quite honestly, it was nerve wracking. I think for me and Nash, uh, having decided on costumes. So the thing was, we didn't really fly to the base camp, which meant we had to trek through the thick rainforest. And it was intense. Like, I remember going to this small town in Papua, which is like Sugapa, it's a small village. And, you know, obviously, we were part of a group because apparently, like, that whole region is quite unsafe for climbers just because of people who are still quite hostile and, you know, they're not that welcoming sort. And so we were quite worried because we read a lot about Karstens and just the whole tribal existence and people, you know, still uh, with primitive ways uh, living their lifestyle there. So I remember landing in this airport, uh small airstrip in Sagapa and people, oh my goodness, we were, honestly, we were very terrified. We are just like, I don't think we belong here. We need to get the hell out of here. (laughs) And, you know, going through this whole scene, I mean, you know, we trek through these uh, thick uh, Papuan uh, rainforests and it was quite intense because it would rain 24 hours a day, literally. And, uh, you know, we had to wear, instead of normal hiking boots, we were always wearing rain boots and we would be drenched in water and mud and rain. And then by the time we'd reach camps after camps, it was just quite long and arduous and You know, I mean, we didn't even have the privilege to sort of fly to the base camp of costumes because, I mean, it's an expensive affair. But I always tell people, like, that trek was definitely an adventure of some sort. And we learned so much out of that trek. Just seeing the people, the local existence, learning things, because the only way we could communicate with these people were hand gestures, and they wouldn't understand anything else. So all these tribal people who'd come along and our porters who were actually from uh, Sugapa, they were just like very not welcoming. And every time we'd be like, hey, do you know where the next camp is? Like there was nothing we could talk about because language was such a barrier. And so, you know, I remember we would like sort of talk to the women first because we just felt more comfortable with women on board. And, you know, we try to build that relationship with dancing and having fun or laughing and try to really build that connection with the local people. Otherwise, I mean, when we looked at the men, they were just with machetes and like, you know, they were trying to look at you like, yeah, just do your stuff and get out of here. So mm. it was definitely a challenge, but it's it's a great adventure to go on. It definitely tests your patience, your skills and your whole capacity to sort of adapt to such situations yeah it was it was great definitely but like i'm glad we chose karstens good it, because it sort of opened the different perspective in terms of one of those seven summits you know being one of the seven summits because it's unique in fact it's the only mountain in the crater which has ice on the summit so it, it's a it's a great phenomenon and you know it was our first rock climbing sort of expedition because we more than rock climbing we are into ice climbing and high altitude climbing so for us rock climbing up to the summit was something and quite a dangerous uh, mission, to be very honest.
1: Oh yeah, I can see that.
0: Uh huh.
1: It's such a uh, contrast too, to the mountain in <laughs> Australia, right? <laughs> and oh, I, I think that anyone who chooses to climb the mountain in Australia, that's legit. That's legit. But when you climb. Karstens, then wow, you know you've you've chosen another very challenging expedition climb, and I think maybe that sets it apart. So,
0: oh, absolutely, I think I'll agree with that. I think anybody who does Karstens would agree with that. And I, I I don't know, but like I think you can drive up to Coziusko, isn't it, Nash? I think so, right? In Australia, yes. (laughs) So that's the other thing. Yeah, that was quite a bummer.
1: (laughs) How does reaching the North Pole or the South Pole? contrast with some of these high summits how is it different to trek across to get to a point rather than trekking up to get to a summit
0: oh there are actually very very different (laughs) looking at the ice caps you know you're you're focusing more your skill sets change because you're looking at skiing instead of you know climbing so obviously uh you know with the skiing setting it was very uh different you know for us the training bit was very different as compared to all the climbs because here we had to uh, endure a lot of weight for long distance and we would we would ski for long distance versus on the on the climb you know there were moments of rest and recoup taking time to get to different camps and all of that also the elevation compared to the climbs we didn't have to deal with any altitude issues on the poles. But the only thing that really got us was the dipping temperatures, which would fall down to minus 60 degrees Celsius at times. Again, very extreme uh, of both conditions. And also I think it's just the, the, yeah. it's just the means too, right? I think in the polar expeditions, we had different, we needed different skill set. we needed different training schedule, because we were looking more of endurance than strength. And being able to pull and haul up a lot of weight, which is about 130 LBS, On our bodies was too much to handle. And I think that's what tested us, actually. North in the South Pole, they were quite an intense uh, sort of expedition for us. Because, you know, dealing with this constant battle of, like, nature against human beings, things that surround the whole challenge, honestly. So I think the poles apart, you know, I mean, North, South Pole compared to Seven Summits. Seven Summits is more like climbing. So, you know, you require a different skill set, which we already had. So that wasn't much of a challenge. But for the North and South Pole, we had to endure much more. We had to go through a specific training. Even mentally, I think it was yeah. very different, right? So, uh, You know, even in the North Pole, you know, there was no perfect destination. There was no summit. It was kind of like an open and a closed-ended thing. So we were skiing for hours. So the motivation level was very different when while climbing the Seven Summits and the Pole. Just the drive and the thing of, you know, keep going and keep, Doing it differed a lot on the poles as well. So, yeah, I mean, apart from that, the region itself, pretty much skiing on a floating sheet of ice in the North Pole and in the South Pole. is the endless skiing hours. There is no, you know, you kind of see the horizon, but there is no destination. There's no, like, perfect spot to go to. On the summit, you know where the summit is. Yeah. And you know that's the high point, the peak point. But, um, and, you know, on the poles, it's very hard to determine that. So like I said, the motivation, oh my God, to keep going is so different.
1: Mm, I can see that. And I, I love summiting mountains because when you get there, you're really there. You know, you're at the top. Yeah. And you can tell. <laughs> <That's
0: right. laughs>
1: what was it like to get especially like to the North Pole? How did you how did you decide? Okay, we really are at the North Pole, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, I, I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the GPS reading, the satellite <laughs> reading, we wouldn't actually know where the North Pole is. Honestly. Um, and in fact, you know, Tashi and I was in a bit of a thing because uh, I remember seeing the 89 point whatever, 99. And I was like, hey, do, do you think we're close to the 90 degree mark? And she's like, yeah. And, you know, it was ironic because for the, the Grand Slam list, we were asked who got there first. I was like, wait, I saw the reading of 90 degree north first, but my sister got there before me. So I, I don't know who made it there, but it was just... That. I did, I did, honestly. Nash, I and did. it would like change constantly. I remember being at the 90 degree north and then it would suddenly change to 89.9. And then I was like, wait, wait, wait. But I got the picture, so I, I win anyway. You know, I think luckily for us, <laughs> climbing the seven summits, we did it together. But this one, oh, oh my gosh. Unfortunately, it had to be one of us. <laughs> oh, so yeah, funny. it was that week. And we have a picture of that. which is listed yeah
1: if you want to get into backpacking but you're not sure where to start go check out campcrate.net campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the US when your trip is finished use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back it's that easy Camp Crate. Run. Explore. Return. Well, what's next? I I mean, you finished the Grand Slam at such a young age. And it's mm. just remarkable. I guess you were both 23. Is that correct?
0: That's right. Wow. When we completed it.
1: Yeah, so that's, that's just amazing. So now what? I mean, having done that, what are the big goals afterwards?
0: This is, I think, the most asked question for the two of us. You know, honestly, when we were on this pursuit of climbing the Seven Summit and Explorers Grand Slam, we felt like that was the end of it all. But actually, a lot is in mind and a lot yet to crystallize for us. Um, you know, we actually are sort of ambassadors for Mountain Hardware, which is in San Francisco. It's an American brand. And so we are part of this impact initiative program, which looks at positive messaging through the adventures that we embark on. So right now, currently, we, uh, you know, have this foundation that we are running, which is the Nungshitashi Foundation. With that vision, we basically wish to inspire and engage more girls in the outdoors, And really bring in that outdoor spirit among young Indians. So within the foundation, I think our main focus is our foundation. And to further sort of contribute to girl empowerment, we established this foundation uh, with basically just the twin goals of, you know, sort of developing mountaineering as a sport in India, but also girl empowerment through outdoor adventure. And the vision of our foundation is actually to make India an outdoor nation with sort of equal and active participation of girls and women. So we're very excited about the foundation, actually, uh, and it's working on two verticals at the moment. So we have the Girls Outdoor sort of Livelihoods program, wherein we sort of train these girls in skill set that is required in the outdoors so that they can be potential you know, guides and explorers in their own field. You know, the other is also the Outdoor Leadership School that we, we wish to run in the, the heart of our city here in Dehradun, uh, which is obviously to engage young kids and ignite the spirit of sort of adventure among these young kids. Because I think technology is taking over, but we don't have to forget that outdoors and fitness and, you know, just getting out there definitely helps in a personality sort of development for the future. So... This is what our goal within the foundation is. And I mean, as as far as uh, our brand is concerned, I mean, Nash and I, we are very creative people. I don't know. Like our passion was dancing and then it turned out to be climbing. So you don't know what next. You know, I mean, we'd be flying to the moon someday. I don't know. (laughs) It could happen. (laughs) Only becoming bigger and (laughs) bolder. Yes. Um, And I think adventure wise, we will still, you know, embark on the the goals for ice cap challenge that we've thought of for a very long time. Uh, which includes, you know, skiing to Patagonia, Greenland, North and South Pole, but this time the whole land. The only challenge, of course, has always been the funds for the same. So we'll we'll try and, you know, uh, fundraise for our next climbs and ski expeditions and make our way to the far end of the world,
1: hmm. <laughs>
0: even further, wherever that point is.
1: <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that you are continuing on to explore and live life large and to try to set an example for others to let people know that they too can go out and accomplish their dreams. Tell me more about the Indian girl child. What are are the details about that?
0: So I think, uh, you know, given India's context, I mean, we firmly believe that girls are absolutely not in the forefront of, like, sports or, like, climbing And not only that, I think for us, when uh, we finished Everest, I mean, our dad comes from a village in India, which is the village of Haryana. And Haryana has this this whole, you know, reputation for bad female versus male ratio. Because, I mean, growing up, I remember how dad would often talk about girl child being killed in his village. And I'd be like, very surprised. I'd be like, why that happens? And there were a lot of socioeconomic sort of things associated with it. And this whole thing with killing the girl child was becoming so common among a lot of individuals and families that it really sort of was quite disturbing. The news took it on. And, you know, there was a point in time in India's history where there were just, you know, there were reporters who were just reporting female fetuses being, you know, sort of eaten by dogs. And like the whole thing with killing the girl child in the first place just made our mind go berserk. You know, we went into the most integrated sort of part of understanding why this happens and. You know, really knowing why people don't prefer girls, and that 's I think primarily because growing up, just hearing about women in India, we were under such stereotypical notions about just doing a particular thing or having a particular motive of our existence and not really associating women in the forefront of any sort of skill set uh, so I think it was really challenging because when you when we went to our dad's village soon after Everest, I mean I could tell from the way people were and I won't even blame the community because they grew up with this whole notion that, you know, once girls get married, they'll go They won't be able to manage businesses. They won't handle this. They won't handle that. So I think there were a lot of stereotypes uh, associated with women. And I think it's definitely changing, but I still feel the rural sectors are still affected by it. The more we learned about it, it was people who were educated who were committing these crimes, you know, like Mm. people who were doctors or people who were educated and they knew what this whole thing was. So it was really shocking. And I think now the ratio has gotten better because for the past 10 years, it was really bad. It was 500 women for some thousand men. And now it's just gotten up to 800 women to 1,000 men, which is a great ratio. But still, I mean, you know, you still hear about people killing the girl child just by virtue of her existence. And that's really shocking to us.
1: Oh, yeah. That's, it's, uh, it's horrifying It's what it is.
0: It really is. And I feel like, you know, gender discrimination and, you know, female feticide, these are such complex and deep-rooted sociocultural phenomena in our country, uh, you know, that requires extraordinary efforts to eliminate. It needs the cooperation and involvement, involvement of multi-stakeholders. You know, this will actually remain our key agenda for the future which, you know, we tend to execute through our foundation. We will use all forms of media to spread awareness and, you know, to do, to lobby with governments and corporate in civil society to effectively impl- implement policies uh, and projects on girl empowerment. Because even if, you know, th- there are big words thrown around, there's very less on ground. The action is missing. So uh, we want to build that image for India where girls get their equal right.
1: Absolutely. So... It sounds like progress has been made, at least with the Uh the female-male ratios, right?
0: Absolutely. But
1: I know that there's more that can be done and should be done. Mm -hmm. And so how can people get involved with this? What can people do if this is something that strikes a chord with someone and they want to to help somehow?
0: Sure. I think for the most you know, initiatives that have been taken for the girl child is it's through campaigning and it's through social media, right? And I think being made the ambassadors for Uttarakhand, like our state, for Save the Girl Child, Educate the Girl Child, is just that people tend to like come and help with working with organizations that look into empowering these women and girls. And there are a couple of organizations that we've worked with in the past. One of them, of course, like uh, through our foundation, we've had a great interest of especially girls coming on board and wanting to help other girls or telling us that, hey, you know, we'd love to climb mountains. I think it's just building this community and network of women and girls to really uh, feel motivated and elevated every day. So I think the only way yeah, I think people could contribute is to basically partake in platforms and social medias and through uh, outdoor existing um, organizations that look into empowering women. Because I think, honestly, if you were to try to go physically and sort of change things, it's always harder because, you know, there are certain policies around, you know, rural sectors or just getting out there. But going through an organization definitely helps because they understand what the whole scene is like or what is required and what is not. So I think uh, that's what we're trying to sort of achieve through our foundation, too, is to be able to touch many lives and especially motivational talks, right? We go to every village or we go to places where gender has been the main uh, messaging through our talks, too. So that helps spread the message and really empower girls around you to sort of stay strong and change the world one step at a time.
1: You mentioned social media several times. And the uh-huh. question then is, how can people get in touch with you on social media?
0: Sure. I manage most of the social media. I think it's become a very powerful tool for the world to sort of get into. And well we are, we've often been called the Everest twins, but our Instagram is actually Twin Climbers. But Tashi Nungshi, I mean, we, we are quite uh, available on Twitter as Noongshi Tashi and on Facebook where we respond to people and you know especially people wanting to get in touch so I personally manage most of my social media you know platforms and I think I've totally accepted and learned that social media is definitely getting big and very accessible to people no matter where you come from all the corners of the world Literally, it has the ability to touch lives. So I think social media is definitely... That's why I use social media a lot because things are changing. I mean, in the 21st century, I think social media has become the platform for many people to sort of promote, to engage, to inspire, and to share their story. So we could be reached at Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. That's what we do mostly. But at the same time, I mean, you know, we could leave in an email for you uh, just in case (laughs) people want to write to us personally. Yeah.
1: So... uh Twin Climbers. That's one thing Uh to search for. And Nungshi Tashi.
0: And Nungshi Tashi.
1: That's right. Spell Nungshi Tashi for us.
0: N-U-N-G-S-H-I Tashi T-A-S-H-I. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll bet that you have more stories that came out of this Grand Slam than, you know, you you could spend a lifetime telling stories and never be done. but. (laughs) I would love to hear some funny stories, something surprising that happened that made you laugh in the midst of all of these struggles.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. I think, uh, let's see, something funny. Um, I mm-hmm. guess it was us on Denali. I don't know. I remember this time when me and Nash were stranded on Camp 3 with our fellow colleague climbers and like a guy, and it was snowing outside. And I remember nobody was in the kitchen tent. And I don't know, for some reason, Nushi, like she started like dancing and started doing these moves that I couldn't just handle because I was like, wait, 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 how did this come out? And she just randomly like she, we were all just sitting in the kitchen tent, me and Nash and we were cooking and we were just having some fun. But there was no music. There was nothing with us. And Nash suddenly, I don't know, she just got up and started doing these moves and like breaking her leg. And I don't know what not. <laughs> you know, it was a time and I emulated her and one of our guides ended up inside the tent and I was like, shit. Like, I don't want me, myself to be a part of this whole thing. But it was quite funny. Like, you know, we we sort of like try to motivate each other doing these things. And honestly, I think dancing is something that really excites us. You know, music, dance, and it's just fun to be around the mountains, having to do all that stuff. And I don't know, we just crack up for most things. I think we just talk so much about life and, you know, in general, just our nature and, People that we meet, it's just so fun. Like, you know, just to have this twinship and this connection, to be able to share things is <laughs> just amazing.
1: That's fun. <laughs> so when times got very discouraging, which I'm sure they did many, many, many times, right? Uh, when times got really mm-hmm. discouraging, then how did you keep each other going? What techniques did you use to uh to stick to it and, and push through?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I guess one of the mantras that we uh, used uh, was, you know, uh, that the pain is temporary and the joy joy of reaching the destination is lifelong. Uh, We used to constantly keep reminding ourselves that this is a fun experience and we would change all these, like being super positive, right? Transforming our negative uh, energy into a very positive one, uh, you know, saying things and doing things, constantly uh, motivating each other just to take one step at a time. Because we knew, you know, all these things that we were doing would involve a huge amount of challenge um, along the way. And and for us, we never would let them stop us because it was, it was fun. You know, we made it a very fun experience. Uh, every challenge and obstacle that keep coming our way. Uh, we would try and change the way we thought about certain things. And, you know, mentally also never give up and keep telling reminding ourselves that, no, this is totally worth it. You know, what you're doing is absolutely great. Uh, and you're right, you know, there are moments where you kind of feel down, which is why Tash and I do a lot of yoga and then we do a lot of these mindful lessons for ourselves where we spend significant amount of time away up in the hills listening to um, some Buddhist chants and then really taking that as a, as a very sober, subtle way of igniting ourselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, do you think that it helped being twins and sisters and knowing each other that well do you think that that helped to stay encouraged because you were doing it together?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think we do credit our achievement to this twinship. I think you're on a mountain, obviously, when you look at the risks involved and you know there are challenges. I think having a partner that sort of understands you and your emotions and is content with the same feeling definitely helps. It's one of those things, you know, when you, you're you going through a challenge together, when you're going through these hardships together, makes you more comfortable than doing it all by yourself. We've, we, we, could have, we couldn't have been more blessed than to be together celebrating our existence and nurturing sort of this relationship because I think it's only gotten richer from our experiences and I think we have understood ourselves better through this sport and this togetherness and that's why we hugely attribute the success to our twinship and to be able to you know, live those moments together and to celebrate our existence together and Really feel that advantage of you know having a partner that totally understands you, and right. you know she would never let me it's almost like we would never let each other give up because we knew that this is what we really wanted, and it was a byproduct of our dreams, and that's what motivated us to actually you know never give in and really help each other out in times of hardships and move forward so it definitely helps no doubt
1: wow that's great
0: yeah I would say in ordinary routine life we we may never. Recognize how special this inheritance is, but it is in extremely dangerous situations that we have constantly been through the past whatever four to five years. We know that it, it is a most precious resource. Mm. So for us, uh, being together is our biggest energy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I would like to put you on the spot just a little bit. Nungshi, will you tell us what you feel is one of Tashi's uh, greatest characteristics?
0: greatest characteristics that she is very strong-willed more than i am (laughs) you know she just doesn't give up and i really like that about her um she's fiercely determined you know i really like that about her she's very (laughs) strong-willed
1: well tashi same question for you what do you think one of nungshi's greatest strengths (laughs) is
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so being 21 minutes older, I think Nash (laughs) has this... (laughs) No, honestly, I think she's definitely very caring and, you know, she wants me to have the best in the world. She's very... I think Nash is an extrovert. She's very outgoing. She's cool. So I think I really like that about her. Like, she connects with people instantly and she has this in her. Like, she loves talking. So she's the the talkative twin. (laughs) But I love that about her because I think she covers up most for myself, you know, so... I think she takes charge on that too. I mean, you know, she's like a bossy, no, not really bossy. (laughs) You know, that she has very nicely hijacked the entire conversation, the entire time. (laughs) So now you know who's, who's talking what.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Well, it's been such a pleasure to visit with the two of you. I just, I, I am so impressed with what you've accomplished, but not only that with the way that you conduct your affairs and, and the way that you speak about it, encouraging others and fighting for causes that are worth fighting for, I think it's just a wonderful thing that you're doing. So I want to congratulate you very much on your accomplishments and say more power to you.
0: Thank you so oh, much. man, Cody, that and means man. a lot. <laughs> Hopefully we get to go on an adventure with you someday.
1: That would be so <laughs> fun. Yes. Well, if you ever make it to Colorado, we'll take you up a, a few shorter mountains, just 14,000 feet, but we can have a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> Oh, well, well. They've been, uh, they've been uh, in our to-do list for a very long time. There was this, like the 14ers that there was a book that was gifted to us by a family living in Napa. And I remember the first thing I read was, whoa, the 14ers. I had no clue. There were so many of them, like heaps. <laughs> so I was like, tell Tashi, like 56, let's just do it at some point. So it'll be really nice.
1: Yeah, we'll come to Colorado. We'll help make it
0: possible.
1: Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for your time today.
0: Absolutely, Curtis. Curtis we thanks. loved every bit of it and hope you have a great day. Well, we'll have a good morning, I suppose. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, that's fantastic. You. Oh, you bet. And for all the listeners out there, wow, isn't that inspiring? It just goes to show if you put your mind to it, you can do just about anything. And I think it's so amazing.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Until the next show, make sure that you set some goals, dream some dreams, and get out there and do your own thing and have some fun.